Are you chasing Philip Rivers in the kids department at this point? Like, is that a goal? He must have sent a text to my wife or something because I, I, I'm not having much luck lately, Trey. <laughs> we'll, we'll let that one stand as is. This season of Half Forgotten History, we're partnering with Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans. I love the Sprinter Van. It's always a smooth ride, whether I'm headed to the course to play around or to the stadium for a really good tailgate. And just like the world-class athletes we talk to on the show, Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans go the extra mile. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History Season 3. By now you know how the show works. And this week's guest is one of my favorite players of all time. Look, it's easy to have a really long career in the NFL when you're the top of the top, the creme de la creme, the best at what you do, and you win all the time, and you go to championship games, and you go to Super Bowls, and you bring home Lombardi trophies. But what if you're a guy who's had an incredibly long career and has never made it to the postseason, yet still gets signed again and again by team after team? That embodies this week's guest. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzmagic, the quarterback who eventually, I believe, will play for all 32 teams in the NFL because he's never going to stop playing and he'll always be good enough for a team to get them where they need to be while they're waiting for the next guy. In fact, his career is kind of like his beard, flowing long and everywhere. We sat down to talk to the man who is a living embodiment of a Game of Thrones character, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ladies and gentlemen, at long last, we are delighted to welcome into Half Forgotten History none other than the new quarterback for the Washington football team, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, Ryan, I have to ask you, are you comfortable with that terminology yet? Because it looks like that's going to be the way it's going to stay for all of 2021. You're the quarterback of the football team. Yeah, my, my kids know it as the football team. For me and you, it's it's difficult. You know, you try not to, to slip up, but... Uh, that's what we're going with, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, well, listen, uh, we're thrilled for you. We're thrilled to have you on the show. But I wanted to present something to you and see if anybody's ever said this to you. Your career is almost exactly like your beard. Epic, long, and everywhere. I like that. And, I mean, there's been different stages of the beard, too, just like there's been different stages of my career. So I, I like that. I claim to not have any gray in it yet. It's coming. It's it's coming at some point, but uh, look at me. I, Trust me, it's coming. It's coming. I still feel young on the field. I guess was my point. I still feel young on the field, and I've got no gray in the beard, so I like that. Your career really is spectacular. I mean, you're the only quarterback to start for eight teams in NFL history. You're the only quarterback to throw a touchdown pass for eight teams in NFL history. And there are two ways you can look at that. But I do think it is remarkable how you've sort of made been able to maneuver your way around the league and going into what will be your 17th season. Did you ever think that was a possibility? No, I mean, I, I would have been happy with one. I mean, I was sitting uh, going into my junior year at Harvard, still not having been a full-time starter in college. So at that point I was looking just like everybody else at the job fairs and trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life. And after my junior season, agents started calling and I was like, do they have the right guy? Like, what are we doing here? Um, you know, and even after I convinced myself that, Oh, maybe I'll have a chance at this thing. I vividly remember sitting there in the seventh round of the draft. Uh, I just had a workout with Josh McDaniels at uh, on my campus and 
they had three picks in the seventh round, I think. And across the screen, because, you know, you no coverage of who's actually getting picked. You just see the names on the bottom by the seventh round. Matt Castle scrolls across the screen. And at that point, Matt Castle didn't exist on the radar. He was a backup yeah. in college. So didn't play a single was, game in college. I thought that was it. I thought that was the end of my uh, my dream when Matt Castle scrolled across. But uh, yeah, somehow, some way, 17 years later, we're still sitting here. Clean shaven, Harvard grad, 2005, picked 250 in the seventh round. At that point, are you thinking, okay, I, I, if I get drafted, I get drafted. But a lot of guys at that point in the, in the draft are thinking, hey, man, I don't want to get drafted. Then I can negotiate maybe a free agent contract. What was your thought process there? It's a funny one for me because I was saying that in my head. Well, if I don't get drafted, then we'll be able to pick our spot. But, I mean, I was going to go in wherever I was as a fourth-string quarterback. So it didn't really matter, you know. So to have to have my name scroll across – and, and by the way, I, I said, I was at my parents' house. I said to my dad, dad, we're not doing a draft party. We're not having anybody yeah. come over because I didn't think I was going to get drafted. And as the day went on, more people showed up. So by the end, there were 50 people in my parents' living room. I'm in the back room fielding calls, you know, to be an undrafted free agent, just feeling terrible about letting everybody in the house down. Yeah. And that moment when my name scrolled across the screen and I was able to walk out there and everybody that had helped me along the way was so excited about it. For me, it was a lot better to be drafted and to see my name scroll across the bottom than it was to have a choice at where to be the fourth string quarterback. Even though it was the 2005 Rams who were just in the midst of just horrendous play for almost a decade. No, you see, you're wrong though, because that was the greatest show on turf. That was like the, the end of the greatest show on turf. Bolger was the starting quarterback at that point, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so Bolger had taken over for Warner. My first game you know, I had been four string and then made the team as a third string guy. My first game, I'm in the huddle and I'm looking around and they're all looking at me to call the play. And my voice is probably cracking and I couldn't grow any facial hair at that point. We've got Orlando Pace, <laughs> Adam Timmerman, Andy McCollum, some big bets up front. But then it was Tory yep. Holt. It was Isaac Bruce. It was Marshall Falk. So right there, we've got four Hall of Fame guys looking at me for the play call. You know, and I can't Mike Martz's offense. I couldn't even spit out a play call. Uh, so it was a nice welcome to the NFL for me. I was about to say uh, you, you put it in that context. It, it does change things. Um, so you, you mentioned you couldn't grow facial hair back in 2005. So is this just a sort of a latent sort of response to like prove that you can do it or? What was the last time you actually shaved? Usually once a year, I'll cut it down. But shaved with a razor, it's been forever. I don't, razors don't exist in my household, at least for me. Um, but I really, I was a late bloomer. Uh, was 5'4", 130 pounds my freshman year of high school. It wasn't until maybe, you know, my last year in Cincinnati, which was my fourth year in the league, that I could grow facial hair. And when I got to Buffalo in year five and it was cold, I said, I'm going to let this go and we'll see where it, where it goes from here. And then the uh, started getting called the Amish rifle and the rest is history. It, it has been an amazing career. Like and it's, it's one of the most unique careers I can remember in all my years covering the league. And you've sort of become like a cult figure. Like, have you wrapped your head around that part of it? Like everyone like, Hey, that's Fitzmagic. That's my guy. You're like, you, you have sort of ingratiated yourself into the fan base of like 32 different teams. <laughs> well, I think, 
Uh, I think the narrative on me definitely changed in, let's see, I got to do the math backwards. Uh, Get your son. He's good at doing math. Yeah. <laughs> but the, you know, the Deshaun Jackson outfit after yeah. the second game of the season in Tampa, yeah. I think that kind of put it on a new level where, you know, with the memes and with everything else, like people maybe took more notice after that. And uh, it's been fun. I mean, it's been a fun to be a part of, and, you know, people have kind of taken a deeper dive into my personality now, but uh, I mean, it's, it's something I'm trying to enjoy. Well, listen, you're clearly enjoying it and clearly people are enjoying it. You know, it's funny you say that about the the Sean Jackson outfit and, the, you know, the chest hair out to here. Again, tremendous flex on your part. But I, I do think people see you as just a dude, right? I mean, like the whole idea of like, oh, the Harvard thing. You just come across as like every guy, everybody that's out there, you know, throwing the ball around with their friends on their turkey bowl games. You know, I mean, do you, do you sense that that's how people see you? I do. And I think. I think that's the way that I try to play too. I try to play loose. I try to play free. And a couple of years ago, a fan came up to me and I thought they put it perfectly, which was, I mean, at, right now I'm a 38 year old dad with a dad bod and people can just <laughs> see, like, I'm not, I'm not the sculpted perfect vision of an athlete, a guy that's been in the NFL Same. for 17. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. So people yeah. can, can then project themselves as me out there because of the dad bod and the facial hair and, you know, the underdog story. And I think people kind of jump on and root for me because of it. Well, it's funny. You mentioned the Deshaun Jackson. I think it's happened earlier. I, I think for me, your perception changed from where I was and what I was doing at the time and relating to people, your years with the jets. Like I, I, I think that's when people thought of Hey, all right, this guy, he takes New Jersey transit to the Ranger game, right? He and Mangold yeah. are hanging out and doing all. I, I think that's where a lot of people saw you differently than just guy pl playing quarterback for many different teams, right? Did, did, did you sense that at all? I mean, looking back on that, I, so 2014, I was in Houston. I broke my leg and I snapped my tibia in half like week 14, maybe. So towards the end of the season. And that was Bill O'Brien's first year in Houston. I had signed a two-year deal. Uh, the Jets in 2015 hired Chan Gailey to be the offensive coordinator for Todd Bowles. And literally Houston and the Jets make a trade and it's like me for a sack of potatoes or something. <laughs> I mean, it was just a, okay, this guy broke his leg. Let's be done with them. And, you know, not, not to bring up other bad stuff, but uh, you know, Gino, has the incident where he breaks his jaw. They went, I think four and 12 the year before right. everybody had kind of written off the season. And all of a sudden we win, I think five straight at the end of the year and we're 10 and five playing for our playoff lives in Buffalo. And it was such a magical season in terms of so much better than what the expectations were at the beginning of the year. And I think that was, that was a special season for me. And I think, I think you're right in that maybe that put more people on notice during that season. And then, of course, we need to talk about the bromance that budded between you and Nick Mangle. Now, it's always cool when a quarterback and a center have that kind of connection because, you know, you're touching his butt on every play. But when did you know, like, oh, this guy is, is we're going to get along? Because I've heard stories, maybe so there's some Star Wars involved here. Oh, he's a huge Star Wars fan. But so, I mean, he has got a life-size Stormtrooper costume that always sits in his basement. But 
the first time, the first time I ever met Nick, uh, I was driving around Chatham, New Jersey, just lost, but looking at houses through neighborhoods. And I pull up to a light and there is this guy with an enormous beard and shaggy hair. And I noticed it because the top was down. Uh, it wasn't necessarily warm outside and it was a Bentley. And the thing that I really noticed what was there was a one of the huge kids, you know, child seats in the back. And so I was like, this dude, first of all, he just, he looks like he's homeless, which I love. Like that's kind of the look that I rock. <laughs> he's driving a Bentley yet. He's got the huge child seat in the back. So he's got to be an amazing dad to be able to put up with that and to have the, you know, the goldfish crushed in the back seat of his $200,000 car. And when I actually realized it was him, he kind of gave me a tour of the neighborhoods and we were fast friends after that. So it was, it was just that instant. Yeah. I mean that at that point I knew that he had his priorities in the right spot and we were going to get along, but I will say too, on a serious note that he is one of the smartest players I've ever played with. I mean, we connected right away on the field too, in terms of the stuff that he was able to do and the way we were able to communicate and, uh, you know, the off the field stuff was awesome, but he was, he was a great player and a really smart player too. Last year in Miami, things were going great. And I, I remember uh, the games specifically, I can't remember who it was against, but it was the game where Tua got into the game after the game was already wrapped. Right. And you guys yep. were all set, ready to roll. Tua comes in, you're on the sidelines, cheering on, watching everything. And it was a really cool moment to see everybody sort of like, Everybody in Miami sort of embracing, hey, Tua and the things he's come through. Here he is on the field. You're leading the cheers. You guys get the win. And then right after that, things changed pretty dramatically for you when they announced that Tua was going to be the starter going forward. The team was winning. Like, things were working in Miami. How surprised were you when that move was made? I mean, I was shocked. I, you know, we had – it happened – our bye week got moved because of COVID and some stuff that got moved right. around. So – when it happened, uh, it was during the bye week. It was after we had just beat San Fran by a bunch, and then we had played the Jets and beat them by a bunch. Uh, so I got called in during the bye week. Wasn't sure what the conversation was going to be. I thought it was going to be about the opponent or what we want to do in the second half of the year. And, you know, Flo, yeah, to his credit, I mean, he's a very direct, honest head coach, and I, I think that's one of the reasons that guys respect him so much. And he just sat me down. He said, Hey, we're going to make the move. And I mean, my jaw just dropped to the floor. I was shocked. Uh, you know, cause obviously even early when they drafted him, I knew I was the placeholder. I was the guy, sure. like I was keeping the seat warm for him. You know, I know the way the business works and, uh, but it just, it, it floored me. I mean, it, I was, I was real upset about it. You know, uh, it was, it was heartbreaking at that point after that. I mean, I gave whatever interview I, I did and said everything that was on my mind. And at that point, I mean, really, I was thinking, is this the end? Like, am I not going to be able to see the field anymore? Am I not going to play football anymore? And when those starts going, those thoughts start going through your mind, it, I mean, it gets heavy. It gets, it got real heavy for me. And it was during the bye week. I got some time to process it and knew when we came back, I was going to have to, as a captain of the team, make sure that everybody was behind it and that I did the best I could for Tua. And, and that's what we did as the season went on. Did you get the sense that it was Brian's decision or that somebody else was saying, hey, let's let's put in this kid? 
Yeah. I mean, he, he told me it was his decision. Um, so that's, you know, I've, I've got to take him at his word on that one. Yeah. Cause I, I remember one of the comments afterwards, like, which I thought was really struck home with me because you felt like this was your team. Like, like it was working. They, things, they were responding to you and that's what, that's what made it more difficult maybe than any other time. Yeah. And I think a lot of that goes to the year before. I mean, my first year in Miami, we were, you know, everybody was saying it was the worst team ever assembled. I mean, we were, we were tanking for the number one spot and we were 0 and 7, but what we went through that year and especially the back half of the year going five and four in our last nine, I think it was, and beating the Patriots when they were trying to get the first round by the last game of the season on our final drive, there was so much momentum going into the next season with the guys that stuck it out. I just felt like we had been through a lot. And, and that's why I made those comments. Um, you know, I felt pretty strongly about it and it, it's a, it's a great organization, uh, nothing but respect for coach Flores and, you know, all the guys that I was able to play with there. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed my two years there for sure. It's, it's never easy because only one quarterback plays unless you have a gadget play where someone comes in and does something. Right. So like uh, I remember when, when Drew Bledsoe was the starting quarterback for the Cowboys and they pulled him at half of a Monday night football game against the giants to put in Tony Romo, you know, and the look on his face on the sidelines was like, he just wasn't there, you know, because it, it, it happened so instantaneously. He didn't have time to process it. So you had the bye week and that I'm sure that made it a little easier, but you know, that's gotta be the hardest part for you knowing that you're the guy that everything runs through. And then all of a sudden you just have to sort of be chief cheerleader for lack of a better term. Yeah. And and at that position too, like you said, there's one guy on the field. So there's one guy running the meetings. There's one guy that's really doing the communicating with the guys that are playing. So you really do have to take a back seat. I mean, my, my role as a vocal leader on the team had to take a bit of a back seat and I had to let, you know, to a run with it. And now that's not to say my involvement in meetings and talking, you know, through stuff with him. And I mean, that stuff all remained the same and, and the dynamic changes a little bit, obviously, because there's stuff that he likes that I don't and vice versa, but uh, you do have to take a step back and kind of let him now be the leader. And that's a tough thing to do as a rookie, but I thought he did a nice job with it. He did. And then of course you have to be ready to go if, circumstances dictate and they called your number late in the season in that game against the Raiders in Vegas. And I got to tell you, it, it was, it was incredible, man. I'm, I'm watching that with my son. Cause we're out there at Christmas with my, my parents or they live in Palm Springs. And like, you go down, you score, then they come back and score and, you know, they settle for the field goal. And then there's the face mask and the completion like that to me, that game summed up your entire career, right? Yeah. I mean, got to be ready at a moment's notice, you know, odds against you somehow pull it out in the end. Like it's, it was a really cool game and with the playoffs on the line too, you know, we lose that game. We're out of the playoff race. Uh, It was a really cool game and just the excitement on the sideline and the locker room after that game was awesome. I've had a lot of athletes tell me a lot of great things, but I'm not, blowing smoke here. I think the greatest thing I've ever heard from anyone is when you once told me it wouldn't be magic if it happened all the time. (laughs) Now I, 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 yeah, I, somebody, somebody threw that line at me is actually, so when they had that, when they had the shooting at the Madden tournament uh, a few years ago in Jacksonville, 
one of the one of the kids, George, uh, his gamer tag is Fitzmagic13. And so I reached out to him after that happened and he lost two friends that day and he was also shot, but ended up with a full recovery. Uh, and we kind of became friends, you know, a- after that incident and text back and forth every now and again. And George is the one after a bad game or something where he hit me up with a text and he said, it wouldn't be magic if it happens all the time. And from then on, I thought, man, that is, that's a perfect way to put my career too. So I, I've stole that line from him. Well, listen, he gets all the credit in the world. I'm glad you shared that story. That's pretty cool. Why don't we take a break right here? And when we come back on the other side, we'll talk more uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick about his career and what lies ahead. This episode is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans with options like Blind Spot Assist and Active Lane Keeping Assist, plus MBUX Voice Command technology for directions, weather forecasts, comfort control, and more. Mercedes-Benz can be ready to go the extra mile. I use it every time I head to the golf course. The handling is amazing, the ride is smooth, and trust me, you never run out of space. Thanks again to Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Vans. All right, back with more Half Forgotten History this episode, of course, with the bearded lunatic, as I like to call him, Ryan Fitzpatrick. We're going the extra mile, uh, thanks to our friends at Sprinter Van and Mercedes. And uh, of course, your career has gone the extra mile. Before the break, we were talking about the Raiders game and how that put you back in playoff contention. And then, of course, it was right after that, you test positive for COVID, so you can't play down the stretch. And they go up to Buffalo, and it doesn't go well at the end of the season. How how disappointing was that to know, hey, I, I've played myself and my team back into playoff contention. Maybe I can help this team get over the hump. And then you test positive. Yeah, that was that was so wild. Uh, and again, just the the ups and downs of my career and the highlights and the lowlights. It just it packed it all into, you know, a four day period there where we had the game in Vegas and then. I'm going back to Buffalo and, you know, we'll see what happens playoffs on the line. And, uh, you know, I, I test positive for COVID. I mean, I didn't believe it. I almost thought the trainer was pulling my leg when he called me and said, man, I got some bad news. And um, at that point, the test was still inconclusive, but they had to get me another one and the next one came back positive. So um, I had to, you know, quarantine for 10 days in the hotel, season ends was a tough, tough game, tough game to watch at home. Um, then I missed one of my son's birthdays too, cause I was quarantining yeah. in the hotel, but it was, yeah, it was a rough, uh, rough 10 day stretch there. Did you ever experience any symptoms or were you just pretty mild case? So I, I lost my sense of smell and my sense of taste for, uh, over a month. But other than that, I wouldn't have known that I had it. And so when they told me I was for sure positive, you know, every day I would just take a bottle of whiskey and, and smell it. And it just started going away little by little. And then there was a, there was a long period of time there where I couldn't taste or smell. Wow. That's crazy. Um, thankfully I, I haven't had that experience, but I imagine that would be the weirdest part of it, right? Like you could say here, eat this and you wouldn't know what it was. Yeah. Very bizarre. And so I, I hate, absolutely hate pickles. Like when you, when you go to Chick-fil-A and say no pickles yeah. and they act, they put the pickles on there and you got to take them off and it still tastes like pickles. That's, that's going to ruin my sandwich every time. So my wife and kids thought it would be funny. I ate a pickle every single day 
and they would just sit there and laugh. And, and so finally, after, you know, a month and change, I tasted the pickle and had to spit it out. But at that point, we celebrated because we knew that uh, the taste was back. Let's say so you were revolted and, and ecstatic at the same time over a pickle. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So the playoff thing is interesting, right? Because there have been a couple opportunities this past year. You mentioned the year 10 and 5. Uh, with the Jets going back to Buffalo and and uh, it all comes apart in the second half. It's one thing to continue to play like, say, Tom Brady with all the success he's had in the Super Bowls in the postseason. But as we said, you're going into your 17th season and still looking for that first playoff experience. Like, I think a lot of people would have bagged it by now by saying, what's the point? What 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 keeps you motivated? What keeps you going? Because I think it's so much easier to keep going, knowing you've had all this success in the postseason, as opposed to never having gotten there. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look back, you know, just looking back two years to the decision I had to make when I was going to leave Tampa, I had a chance to compete and play in Miami. And I had a chance in multiple cities to back up and they were both the same money. And for me, you know, a lot of people look at it and say, well, we'll take the one where you're not going to be getting beat up and where you're going to be able to sit back and watch somebody else play and, you know, enjoy life and everything will be a little bit easier. And for me, like I still do it because I love playing. So the reward I got the last two years being in my Miami, the relationships that I made, uh, even just instilling confidence in guys, you know, that maybe didn't believe in themselves, like those things for me, yes, the playoffs, like I would love to go to the playoff Super Bowl. I would love to win a Super Bowl, but there are also other things uh, in terms of relationships, in terms of helping other guys believe believe in themselves that I take so much pride in, and that's the reward that I've had and the reason that I keep playing. You know, that that's I believe what we call professionalism, right? I mean, and and that's one of the things that I love about football more than any other sport. Like to me, quick side note before I get started on that. Uh, not only your teammates, the Chiefs love that because if you know you beat the Patriots last, the last time, that gave them the, the two seed, and they eventually parlayed that into home field advantage, which they took the Super Bowl Fifty Four. But it's the team aspect of it which I love most about football, and I always try and explain it this way: like in basketball, you could have two or three players that are the best, and that's really all you need. You know, baseball to me is a pitcher versus batter confrontation, and if that works out everything else goes into play. If you have a hot goalie in soccer or hockey, it can change the game. That's not the case in football. Like the thing that I love about football to me, it's the ultimate team experience. You have to have 11 guys pulling together. And if one guy blows the assignment, the whole thing can blow up. And what you're just talking about there is sort of encapsulates why I love the game so much. Yeah, I agree. And that's, like when I have, when I know now my kids are old enough to understand it, they're old enough to watch it and to see the things that I go through and the adversity and they're, they're just not watching dad. Like they're also living it. They're living it when they go to school on a Monday after a big win. And they're living it when they go to school on Monday after, you know, a devastating loss. Like these are things that they get to watch me do every single day. And there are certain qualities that have made me who I am because of the game of football, because of the team aspect. And for me to have the opportunity right now to always have them in mind, to always, when I'm going through the struggle, think about my kids and think, what would I want them to do in this situation? How would I want them to react? That puts so much uh, 
pressure is the wrong word, but that yeah. puts me in the, my, the right frame of mind where I know that they are watching me and I have to do it the right way. And that's something that has helped me, but also something that I love doing because I love showing them the struggle. I love showing them the reward at the end. And it's just so cool for me that they're old enough to be able to participate in that with me. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, the family, I think so many people forget or, or choose to not uh, focus on the fact that players are actually human beings and not like products. Like that, to me, that's the whole point of the draft. Like, Oh, we'd lost a tight end. Let's bring in a tight end. Like it's a widget or a manufactured item as opposed to a person. Like how have you been able to maintain sort of like, family stability and sanity with all the moves and all the changes. You fake yeah. stability almost every time I move to a new city. Uh, every time we go to a new team, first of all, my wife sets the tone just in terms of being so positive and viewing every stop as a new adventure. But we, every time we move, we dive right in. It's not, you know, the thought process or the mindset of, well, we're only going to be here for a year or two. It's not really worth it to, you know, dive into this community. It's okay. We're moving, you know, let's pick a spot with the best public schools we can find. Let's get involved with sports. You know, I usually coach one or two um, sports right now, fully into basketball. Um, but we dive into the community and it's hard not to with so many kids, but we make great friends. Uh, you know, we always have great neighbors and whether it's a year or it turns into two or in Tampa, which we've stayed in for the last four. Uh, we've made so many great friends uh, because we weren't reluctant or because we didn't have the mindset of, well, we'll be moving soon anyway. And, yeah. you know, every year the Christmas cards that pour in from Tennessee and Houston and Buffalo, um, it, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And it, it's been a lot of fun, but, you know, circling back to what I said at the beginning, my wife is kind of the one that, the way that she frames it and views it trickles down to the rest of the family. And that's made it a lot easier to do this. And the other thing is every time we move, we become closer as a family because, you know, now we've got seven kids, but we'll move uh, to Washington. And all of a sudden my kids only know each other. They don't have their other friends and whatever else. And so we get tighter as a family every time we move. And, and that that's something that is a positive that comes out of it. Are, are you chasing Philip Rivers in the kids department at this point? Like, is that a goal? He must have sent a text to my wife or something because I, I, I'm not having much luck lately, Trey. <laughs> well, we'll let that one stand as is. Uh, <laughs> and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what goes forward in Washington uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, Masvidal and Usman put on a show the last time they stepped into the octagon and they're sure to pack a punch in round two. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Look, pick either main event fighter to win during this weekend's UFC 261 title fight, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 26 to 1 odds. Just bet $5 on either fighter to win, and if they walk out with the belt, you win 130 bucks. There is no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. 
And don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. And DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code WINGO when you sign up to turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code WINGO to turn $5 into $130 if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, and some restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, back with Ryan Fitzpatrick. We've gone through the awkward sex texting with his wife, and we're moving forward to a different part of the discussion here. Um, it is Washington, the football team this year. They, they were an amazing thing last year, right? Nothing was supposed to work right. Ron Rivera got cancer. Uh, they went through three quarterbacks, yet they found a way to win, uh, you know, pretty bleak NFC East, but they made it, and they made a game of it against the Bucs in the postseason. What did you like most about what you heard from Ron Rivera and that staff? Well, I just think the respect that he has around the league whether it's from the former players or people that he's coached with, that really jumped out to me. I mean, I've heard so many great things about him. I, I do know a few guys on the staff, uh, but I know guys on every staff having, yeah. you know, been on so many teams in so many different places. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm excited. Uh, you know, obviously they made the playoffs last year, but even just the youthful energy that's going to be in that building, uh, at 38, I am the old grandpa, you know, on every team I go to pretty much. But there are 21, 22, 23-year-old kids really on these teams that have so much uh, enthusiasm and energy. And they're even just, you know, so naive in the things that they think they know that they don't. But uh, it's just, it's it's fun for me. You know, it's weird for them to be closer in age to my kids than they are me. But it's also, it helps me stay young and, and stay enthused about the game. Well, listen, Tom Brady was closer to Patrick Mahomes' senior age than he was Patrick Mahomes' junior in the Super Bowl. So uh, you're not you're not alone in that department. But you got to be excited about the receiving core now. you got McLaren and Curtis Samuel, who are teammates at Ohio State. Uh, for a guy that likes to have his receivers go up and get it, you, you like to have those two guys trying to run past people. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity. And, you know, part of that, we're still, you know, uh, Scott Turner and I have had a couple conversations and we're still just, we'll be, it'll be a work in progress. You know, you figure stuff out, stuff that I like, stuff that he likes, you know, the different talent that we have on the team and how we're going to use it. Uh, so that'll be a work in progress as we go here, but I am, I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity. You, you mentioned teaching young players and specifically young quarterbacks. Like, do you have to tell them, trust that the receiver will get open. Like most of the, a lot of times in the NFL, you have to throw the ball before he's open. And that's not something that happens a lot in college football. It, it maybe is the biggest difference in playing quarterback in the pros than it is in college. How much of that is something that they have to learn by themselves or something you can teach them? Yeah, I think, I think two of the biggest differences. One is you're not going to be able to stand back there and pat the ball. And it's not, it's not seven on seven, which sometimes, yeah. you know, in college, it almost looks like, seven on seven. Um, you know, and the other thing is you have to earn it. A lot of the time, you're not going to be able to throw those quick bubble screens and the three yard passes and then watch a guy 
out athlete everybody else on the field and go for 80. I mean, it is over and over again, you're going to have to earn it. And so the biggest jump I think guys have to make coming from college to the NFL. Yes. It's being able to throw on time. Yes. It's being able to throw when somebody maybe doesn't have five yards of separation, but it's also the situational stuff. It's how good can we be in the red zone? How good can we be on third down? Because uh, a lot of the time you don't have those pressures in college. You're throwing a, a touchdown or first on first or second down, and you know you're feeling good about yourself and run to the sideline. So uh, those guys have to learn a lot about those situations and how difficult it is in the NFL to get a first down on third down, or how difficult it is to score instead of kick a field goal. And a lot of that stuff you can't learn without actually being able to experience it and do it. And so it's it's impressive with these rookies how they've come in, and I feel like. Rookies have been more NFL ready than maybe ever before, but there's still a big jump that needs to be made. And so you'll be with Washington this season, your ninth team that we presume you're going to start for and throw another touchdown pass, which would add to your record. Now, the official schedule isn't out yet, but we know who you guys are playing. And I went through and looked through your opponents in Washington. Have you done that yet? Yeah, taking a okay, peek. So, so you know, like I was shocked to find out there will only be one revenge game for Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. Yeah, unless uh, if if slash win, they add a seventeenth game. Yeah, you know the odds. I mean, the odds go way up if you if you, <laughs> you know, have to throw in another team. So let's say that there will probably be two, but who knows? Okay, but I, I really wish because because the NFC East is playing the AFC West this year, and you have not been an AFC West quarterback. So the only team that's going to be a revenge game at the moment is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do you prepare yourself for revenge games almost every week? knowing just because the odds are good. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't it really like truly in my career, when I went to Houston after playing in Buffalo for four years, that was the one game where I was like, I, this, this, is this means game. something I gotta, to I, me. I remember this, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, which by the way, like the pregame talk, Oh, nothing. I hate more than a on the field, bring the cameras over here yeah. pregame talk, but Brian Cushing and JJ Watt made me do it before that game. And uh, <laughs> I just kind of blacked out for, you know, the 15 seconds or whatever. But since then there's just too many of them. So it's not that big of a deal. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't that the same game where in the post game you brought up your son and he did the, uh, did the math equations. Was that the same game? That was in Houston. I don't know if it was the same game or not, but uh yeah, he he made his debut right then and there. Yeah, yeah. I, I maybe I make him maybe conflating things, but I that was the epic pregame, and I thought the epic postgame might have been the same. You know way. what? It wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't sure. because I brought him up after. Like I threw six touchdowns against Tennessee that year, yeah. and when you throw six touchdowns, you can kind of do whatever you want in the postgame presser. Yeah. So I brought my kids in. That's still pretty cool. I'm going to remember it that way anyway, even though it's incorrect. Um, yeah, whatever you need. Thank you. But pretty much the way I'm going at this point. Uh, <laughs> listen, you have an opportunity here now, right? Because like you'll never have Tom Brady's career, but Tom Brady is still going. Like, is it, is there any part of you is like, no, I'm going to see if I can outlast this guy. It's definitely a year to year proposition for me. I, physically again, like I've been rocking the dad bod for at least 10 years now. So yeah, I mean, I think we're all proud of our dad bods, but there's no special, you know, dieting, nothing like that. And I just luckily have been very healthy throughout my career. But as long as, you know, somebody will have me, I, I want to keep playing. 
You are quite honestly the unofficial mascot of the NFL at this point in your career. And I've always wanted to ask you this question. What would 38-year-old about to play for his 19 in his 17th season bearded Ryan Fitzpatrick say to the 2005 clean-shaven seventh round 250th pick out of Harvard Ryan Fitzpatrick as advice? Uh, I mean, honestly, believe, just believe in yourself. Something about, there's a kid joke in there too that I've missed, but believe in yourself. You know, for me, I have always had probably more confidence in myself than I deserved or needed to have. And, you know, sometimes that backfires, but that also is the reason why I'm still playing today because I have unwavering belief in my ability and who I am and my preparation, all those things. And uh, that's what keeps me going every year. Even after a rough game or a rough season, I still think I'm one of the best quarterbacks on the planet. And, you know, that's, that's how I've always been. And again, another great pearl of wisdom from Ryan Fitzpatrick. He once texted me, I'll either dedicate my next three touchdown or three interception game to you. I thought that was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. I I give you a lot of gems. Yeah. Listen, why do you think you're on the show, bro? Like, come on. Well, this is, we we want the gems. We we live for the gems. And honestly, your career has been a gem and I've enjoyed watching every bit of it. And we look forward to the year 2053 when you and Brady are meeting in a playoff game for the first time. Wonderful. Wonderful. Can't wait. All right, brother. Hey, listen, always good. Best of luck this season, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch, okay? All right, see you. Thanks, buddy. Well, I could do a million episodes with Ryan Fitzpatrick, all lasting about three hours, but he wasn't going to give us that much time. So I'll take what I can get from Fitzmagic. And remember, it's not magic if it happens all the time. Coming up next week, a very special guest, Chargers GM Tom Telesco. This has been a wild run-up to the NFL Draft with no NFL Combine, some players opting out, some players playing six or seven games, others playing 10 or 11 games. How do you truly evaluate what you may get at the next level? And what's it like walking into a draft knowing you've already gotten your quarterback, as the Chargers did last year when they hit a home run with Justin Herbert? We'll get into all of that next week with Chargers GM Tom Telesco. 